HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have an old buddy of mine, cocktail pioneer, and proprietor of Fort Defiance in Red Hook, Brooklyn, Sinjin Frizzell. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Damon. So, obviously... You've been you've been uh, into this for quite a while now. Uh, you were working with some different publications, doing a little bit of writing, and and you also got your chops at uh, at Pegu Club, right? And when I first met you, uh, I was working down at Red Hook and uh, at Linnell's Ltd. And uh, right across the street from there, luckily enough, there was a great little spot called uh, the Good Fork, right? Um, and when I was like starving to death, <laughs> which I, I kind of liken sometimes working at uh, Linnell's uh, to being like a starving artist, <laughs> right? Um, I would I, I would typically like run across the street and like have a quick bite and, uh, and a cocktail. And uh, and as we were, as I just told you about fifteen minutes ago, uh, a very classic cocktail, uh, the last word. Which features gin, lime juice, green chartreuse, and maraschino liqueur. You were that was the first time I ever had that cocktail. I, I I'd known about it, but I never actually had one. And I walk in one day. I was in, in a really big. Uh, I was in the middle of my uh, chartreuse kick, and you made that drink for me, and it 
kind of changed my whole like outlook world uh you know like uh, as far as like bartending and classic cocktails yeah that's one of those weird drinks where it's like you know four ingredients in equal parts and they come together really magically and don't really taste so much like one of the ingredients they just all sort of harmoniously converge it's it's really a magical drink i think i'm glad that uh you didn't have that because at that point you know my chartreuse vocabulary was pretty limited so <laughs> if you had all had like oh no i just had a last word then i would have been in trouble <laughs> you, well you could have made me i i the, i asked for a green chartreuse and a drink you could have made like a bijou or something like that. Yeah, know? I don't. I don't think I was making bijou. <laughs> well, neither was I. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so this was. Were you still at this time uh, when you started bartending? Um, were you still doing some uh, writing? No. Well, I was doing writing. I I um, I, I worked at uh, Bon Appetit magazine for six years. I was the um, promotion copy director there, so I was writing uh, on the sales and marketing side of the magazine. Um, doing freelance editorial stuff here and there. Uh, and no, I, I had um, quit the magazine um, after six years, traveled uh, through uh, South America and China, and didn't really know what I wanted to do next at the beginning of the trip. But at the end of the trip, I decided that I wanted to, you know, to open my own spot. And uh, to do that, I needed to get behind some good bars in, in uh, New York, so I was already a big fan of the Pegu Club. I went there and I talked to Audrey. I had written about them already. And I spoke to Audrey and said, look, I really want to work here. Make me a bus boy or I'll you know, sweep up at the end of the night, whatever you want. Just I really want to get behind the bar. She said, okay, go get a, a job at your local and work there for a year. And then give me a call. So when uh, you saw me at the Good Fork, that's what I was up to. I worked at the um, up the street at a bar called the Red Hook Bait and Tackle for a while. You worked there? I did. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. I did. Like a really grungy beer and shop bar. Not really grungy, actually. It's, it's, it's it, you know, it's I love that cleaned table, up its act a that lot. table that has the cutout that says douchebag. Douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of uh, taxidermy and lots of unsavory characters and a real, Salty. A real, a real great bar. Um, worked there, then got a job at the Good Fork uh, with my old friends uh, ben, ben and Sohi, who were my landlords at the t- at the time. Um, worked there for a year. Called Audrey and said, "Okay, I'm ready." And she came down about nine o'clock on a Sunday night, I think, and uh, uh, she sat at the bar. She ate dinner. I made her some drinks. We talked and talked and talked and talked. Everyone else left. It was just the two of us in the bar, and we finally left there at like two in the morning or something and she was like all right why don't you come see me next week cool so so that's how i got uh behind the bar at the pegu cool and that the pegu club i mean obviously it's a a legendary spot for a lot of uh the like top bartenders and you know not only in new york city but you know in the united states i mean toby toby maloney worked there for a while and he, he did yeah he was i mean the opening staff it's like a it's like a who's who of the cocktail world now totally it's like it was him chad solomon phil ward brian miller uh i'm leaving some people out but it was like <laughs> a it was a it was a seriously hard-hitting crew yeah. oh um jim Meehan joined right after uh they opened i think uh, so it's like yeah it's for a while it was it was a real proving ground for these guys who were going to go on and do their own thing and and uh i think it's really cool to see where they've all 
gone. They've all sort of, you know, followed their own sort of smaller interests in the cocktail world and done very well for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see why you would want to go there and uh, get your chops there you know, yeah, right well, from the get-go. At the time, it was really only them and Milk and Honey in like a, a couple other spots. And, uh, and Milk and Honey, was it, was it was hard to get a job there. I mean, it's like a, yeah. you know. It's like uh, joining like a secret club. You got it's, <laughs> it's it's hard, um, but Audrey was approachable, you know, and uh, and uh, was you know kind enough to let me have a shot. Cool. Now, something that's very interesting about about like Fort Defiance and and uh, you know being uh, someone in Red Hook and opening up a, a bar and restaurant there, like Fort Defiance, that's really focused on like old school like new orleans style you know the not only the cocktails but also the food mm-hmm. you know like i i love the muffalata like, yeah it's like when i when i feel like uh when i'm feeling a little down i'll go have a sazerac and a muffalata and yeah, like man. start feeling like pretty good about myself but um coming from that literary background going into the bar it's no wonder that one of your favorite authors is Charles H. Baker Jr., right. who wrote, and you were talking about going to South America and researching, but he wrote The Gentleman's Companion, then a little bit later, The uh, South American Gentleman's Companion, which is right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually like the writing in The uh, South American a little bit better. Yeah, the right, yeah. Gentleman's Companion. Absolutely. So, like, with, with his literary style, he's very, he was very sharp. Yeah, and very uh, very witty, and he, but not brief. I mean, if but not uh, brief, <laughs> if brevity is the soul of wit, he managed to be not brief and also witty at the same time. Yeah, somehow. But it's yeah, a lot of content, <laughs> like a, a famously long-winded author. I mean, why why give a recipe for a drink when you can tell like a three-page you know anecdote about where you found it and then throw some ingredients out? Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's a guy like I've. From from him, I've really taken um, the lesson that the context of a drink is just as important as the drink itself, or absolutely m- more important. Who you have the drink with is probably the most important thing, and then where you are, what's happening around you, all of that ties into the experience. It's not just what's in the glass; it's the you know, it's the absolutely, whole absolutely. And you know, it, a prime example of that, uh, and to my knowledge. The only drink that specifies the direction in which it's stirred <laughs> right. to remember the main. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, that well, drink for the listeners? Yeah, the remember the main is is a great drink. It, it, it um, it's one of the few Charles Baker drinks that works right out of the box. I mean, it it works um, it works as the directions are, are given. With a lot of um, Baker drinks, um, they don't. They require a little bit of tinkering. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the remember the main works really well right out of the box, and uh, yeah, he was uh, drinking that drink in 1932, I think, in uh, 33 in um, Havana, Cuba during the Machadista uprising. He was at the Hotel Nacional um, while another hotel down the street where um, Machada. Uh, was holed up with like uh, the Olympic snipers from the uh, Cuban <laughs> Olympic team. Um, they were being shelled, and uh, and he was down the street enjoying a really nice cocktail that he made up on the spot. And he called it the Remember the Main, um, 
as a tribute to the what was happening. Um, Remember the Maine is the was the war cry of uh, the Spanish American War, which happened in Cuba, eighteen ninety eight, and uh, uh, so it was sort of a a reference to that, you know. He, but it was it was a drink created during wartime while shelling was actually happening and yeah he um he he, he directs that the drink be stirred clockwise, clockwise. yeah because that's the direction <laughs> the ships were uh circling it, like when they were bowing right or, right yeah. yeah something like that <laughs> but yeah but he he does uh specify that the drink be stirred and it's so i have it on my menu right now but, oh nice yeah uh, and I'm about to take it off because it was for the the winter menu, but it sucks because I'm a lefty, and mm-hmm. my natural way of stirring is counterclockwise. So I have to like stop every once in a while and remind myself. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, not stir- to get too geeky here, but I'm right-handed and I naturally stir counterclockwise. counter-clockwise. Really, I have, I have no idea why. I, I, <laughs> I haven't seen anyone else do it that way. Everyone else stirs clockwise except me. I don't know why. I just. Weird. It just naturally. You're weird. Me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, well, getting back to the uh, the literary connection there oh, and the cocktail side, it's like Charles e. Baker. He wasn't really necessarily like a mixologist or a bartender. No, he, he was, was. He was like the. Um, he was like the Ben Franklin of the bartending world. He was like a. He was a writer, a philosopher. You know, never an elected official. Ben Franklin, you know, was never elected to anything, but he was always in the mix. Yeah. And Charles Baker was a, you know, he was an intellectual. He was a diplomat. He was a sportsman. Uh, he was an adventurer, world traveler. Um, he was but, a bon vivant. Uh, absolutely a bon vivant. And, but never, never spent an hour behind a bar, except, um, except uh, at his own house. I mean, you know, he entertained a lot. He, he lived in uh, Coconut Grove. Florida in the 30s when uh, Coconut Grove was a real artist colony. And it was like a lot of weirdos hanging out there and artists and writers. He was hanging out with Robert Frost and uh, band leaders, um, you know, published authors. He was a good friend of uh, Fred Waring, who invented the blender. He was a um, band leader as well, and he invented the blender. So so he was a big uh, uh, proponent of the Waring blender. And and, uh, yeah, he traveled around the world numerous times three cruises around the world numerous trips to south america central america europe you know was all over the place i really wish we could do that these days I know. <laughs> oh my god i'm so jealous um when we get back from this break that we're about to take i want to talk a little bit more about that but i also want to talk about Fort defiance and the inspiration behind uh the obviously the the new orleans style cocktails um, and let's talk a little bit about like the. Uh, I love the backstory that you were telling me earlier about the uh, sumo collins that is actually featured in the New York Times today, right now. We have a copy here. We're going to talk about that and the the kind of uh, tongue in cheek giganticness of this this awesome collins when we get back. All right. I'm the last of the best. They call me the greedy man. Got many clients. Come from miles around Running down my prescription I got medicine To cure all y'all's ills I got remedies of every description 
Controlling the hearts and get together drops. If you work too hard, the following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Sunday at 4.30 p.m., tune in to Burning Down the House. Architecture is the laser focus of Burning Down the House, a weekly discourse on all things built, destroyed, admired, and despised. Each week, Curtis B. Wayne, your host, invites a posse of authors, critics, builders, designers, and other architecture fiends to reflect on various topics related to perhaps the most functional of all art forms. Again, that's every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. That was Yaya from Dr. John, uh, which totally has taken me... Totally taking me down south, man. Um, and uh, speaking yeah. of going down south, we were just talking before the break about. Uh, well, you know what? While we were just on this break, we were just talking about how that's your like your meditation, like on your way to work. Yeah, every bartender has a different kind of like meditation, like before they start their shift, right? And it's extremely important. You gotta like, like for me, it's like I gotta have a I have to have like a coffee gotta have lunch for an hour right and then like maybe like like read the paper or whatever i mean like but like gary regan talks about like when he was like first bartending when he was like 17 or 18 years old like sitting in the corner and he wouldn't allow anyone to talk to him and like that was his meditation yeah. everyone has it uh toby jacchini like in his right. book i was uh, just about Cosmo to mention Paul. toby yeah he was talking about uh in his book um about going down to the basement and changing his work clothes, and that was like his ritualistic, you know, like meditation right. time yeah. before he started to shift. And that's like that song that we just played on the break. That's your, that's your version of it. Yeah, listening to that on the way to work. Well, Toby worked uh, at Fort Defiance for like a hot second. Um, really? Yeah, he did. Awesome. Oh, dude, you should have you should have been there for that. That was quite a show. Because um, uh, you know we do a a pretty high volume on the weekends and uh yeah just watching watching him do all that was really really funny um a, a great guy a really a, a lovely lovely man uh who eventually left he was just like i'm too old for this i can't do this anymore <laughs> too old for this my shit. back hurts it takes me three <laughs> days to recover um but a beautiful beautiful man um but uh yeah well a lot of the time i think you want to get fired up before work and you'll listen to something really high energy with me it's the opposite because i i um we serve brunch and we're open all day and we don't have a time when you can come in and change into your work clothes and like set up the bar set up the bar quietly and all that stuff doesn't exist especially on weekends so if saturday night sunday night we're coming off an insane brunch when i come in the place is always at least half full and the brunch staff is trying to pick up the pieces of you know yeah. what just happened and so i need to listen to something that kind of puts me into like a sedated mood 
like a dream state. You need to like calm, calm it down a little bit. Yeah. 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 I hear and like, that. So I can come in with that song kind of ring in my head and deal with the chaos around me and just, you know, be cool. Cool. You know, we were talking before the break about uh, like the connection of uh, Fort Defiance and uh, and and the uh, the, the New Orleans co- uh, connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I lived in New Orleans for for eight great years. I was there. Um, you know, I moved there when I was eighteen to go to Tulane, and Tulane. ended up hanging around Roll Green Wave, and ended up hanging around for uh, for a few years after, which you know, which happens to people in New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, worked in the service industry, worked in some restaurants, did some house painting, did this and that. And uh, absolutely love the city. Go back at least once a year. And um, I still think the way that I eat and drink and approach life is is very informed by what I learned there. Yeah. By the lifestyle. And that's like, like with with certain drinks like... um Certain classic cocktails like the Sazerac, the Ramush and Fizz, like all the like the De La Louisiane, the Vieux Carré, um, these are all like born out of New Orleans. These are like right. serious classic cocktails, and you don't really like most people don't really think of New Orleans as being like an influential cocktail city. You think about San Francisco and obviously New York City, um, maybe a little bit of los angeles but not really i mean not until like later on until like the cock and bull with the with the uh, moscow mule which was like come on dude right yeah (laughs) Yeah. but but it's like the the culture there and the history is so crazy it's such a dense history there's so much stuff that happened in new orleans with within the history of the united states i mean like jesus like uh the reverend elijah craig Develop bourbon, putting white dog into charred barrels, floating down the Mississippi to New Orleans. That's how bourbon was invented. And like, it's like, like you said, like the food and the culture and everything. Like, like I said before earlier too, it was like the muffalata is like one of my favorites. Yeah, but well, you know. you know, it's a it's a port city. Always has been like a like a a you know vitally important port city. New Orleans, so you have people from all over the place coming in and out constantly that makes a great city and a very vibrant one um with the food and the drink stuff there's always been a great emphasis placed on social life in new orleans for better and for worse like there's more of an emphasis placed on social life than there is on business and industry yeah um you know which doesn't always work out in the city's favor but it's a but it's there and even when I go back to visit, there's a great emphasis placed on social life. And by that, I mean, you know, spending time with your friends and your family and, um, you know, uh, celebrating holidays and inventing, you know, your own holidays to uh, celebrate. I've always said that New Orleans is the only city that I know with its own soundtrack. Just living there yeah. for a few years, you learn I'd say about 60 songs that you you might not know the names of, but you know them by heart because yeah. you hear them all the time. They're just part of the it's part of the, the vocabulary there. Yeah, and totally. and you and most people there know what a Sazerac is, and that's that's not because they're cocktail geeks. It's just because they go out to eat and they and they see other people drinking it, and their fathers drank it or their mothers drank it, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just part of the culture. It's not. 
Cocktails is now becoming a little bit fatty down there, but it's but they've always been around down there. Yeah, I mean, they've really never gone away. You know, something about like you were just saying, like the the fatty kind of thing with uh, with cocktails and whatnot. It's like there are there are a lot like this market is kind of in a way it's like the 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 actual like kind of like cocktail bar scene is like really saturated but it's saturated with unfortunately i'm just gonna say this it's unfortunately saturated with a lot of bartenders that don't necessarily know what they're doing with these like a lot of bar a lot of new bartenders are getting into this because they want to have the title of a mixologist and you never call yourself a mixologist like you never right. call yourself a rock star you let other people call you you know those are titles that you don't give yourself. You let other people give them to you. And uh, in the New York Times today, <laughs> I love this because it, it goes back to like just straight up like it, it's it brings up the very like fun side of uh, of making cocktails, but also like the simplicity. Like simplicity in cocktails is so key. Like think about you know like the Sazerac. It's basically four ingredients. It's three ingredients with a rinse of one. Right. And you know all these like we were talking before the show. We were talking about like you know simplicity in cocktails and like what do bartenders drink when they're not right? You know at work. You know and a lot of them will admittedly say that you know they're into beers and shots and whatnot. Um, just like we had before the show. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's great. This is a really cool uh, article today in the New York Times about... It's, it's titled, Here's to Your Summer, Cocktails Made Simpler. And you have a, a really awesome quote in here uh, talking about how, you know, something as simple as, like, the, the Tom Collins. You know, you can add, like, like you said, you can add seven or eight ingredients to it. But really, when it gets down to it, this is just a great drink on its own. And what you've done, <laughs> right? Uh, you've made it. It's three ounces gin, two and a half or two and a quarter ounces uh, fresh lemon juice, an ounce and a half simple syrup, a shitload of chilled seltzer, and an orange wheel. And it's called the Sumo Collins, which is available at Fort Defiance. Yeah. And tell Sumo us why. Collins. Tell us why uh, this happened. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Dave Wondrich um, came by my bar before it was open and said, we were talking about the menu and stuff and what I was going to serve. And he said, uh, he told me my, one of my favorite things that I've ever heard, which is if you, if he opened his bar, I don't know if you ever heard this. He would, he would serve um, two things. He would serve lemonade and he would serve old fashions and he would make the lemonade with the lemons that he was doing the, you know, the peels twists yeah. you know, for the old fashioned. So he would do a whiskey old fashioned and a lemonade and if he really liked you he'd make you punch which is pouring the old-fashioned into the lemonade (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so so we were talking about that kind of stuff and he said you know what you should serve a really big collins here like you know you're down in red hook it takes a long time to get there whether you're on the bus or whether you're walking or riding your bike in the summertime it's really hot and by the time people get there it's they've um you know it takes twice as long as you think. This is a really bad advertisement for my bar right now. But, <laughs> no, um, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> but uh, but once you get down there, you really want something that's thirst quenching. And you, if it's busy, you don't want to have to grab the bartender five minutes after you just ordered a drink. 
because you're going to suck down that first one. Right. So why not make a really big con? So, well, it's um, just like what we were talking about on the way over here. It's talking about like uh, you know, like we will sit around and drink a beer, maybe have a shot, and we'll, we'll chill out on that. But for us nowadays, going to bars, it's like when we have a cocktail, it's like we just end up sucking it down. Yeah. Way too fast. I drink them way too fast. Yeah. I was drinking them way too fast last night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh I think we all were. Yeah. But uh the yeah. studio smells like sweat and booze. So so this is like, you know, it's a really big column. It's served in a big twenty five I found a twenty four ounce column, guys. <laughs> and the drink goes in that and you get a, a big thing. Now it's called sumo, you know besides the obvious reasons, I was in um Hawaii right before I opened and went to a place called um Oh hell. Uh, Ken's House of Pancakes in Hilo, and they serve you know crazy things. Very intriguing in, name <laughs> in um, Hawaii, like um, Loco Moco and uh, Simon and stuff like these. These like real like uh, local, like very starch heavy Hawaiian foods, and um, they come in huge bowls. But then I, I was sitting there at the counter, and a bell rang, and everyone, the the whole staff shouted sumo and this giant bowl of Simon came out and went out to one of the tables and i was like wow this must be somebody's birthday or That's something awesome. five minutes later ding 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 sumo another bowl went out ding 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 sumo all day long <laughs> it was like these giant hawaiians were eating giant bowls of food so i was like yeah i'll just call it the sumo collins and That's awesome. uh, yeah it's a it's an oversized um Tom Collins. That's it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's actually going to be my new meditation when I go into the bar. <laughs> you know, on the flip side of that, though, I was in uh, I was in Fort Defiance. Um, let's see, what was that? Sunday. It was Sunday. Yeah, I was there, and uh, you made a drink for me from New Orleans from right. uh, Josh. Uh, no, from uh, Paul Gustings. Paul Gustings. Um, but and, it's uh, uh, this Angostura sour. Yeah. At Two Jacks, right? Yeah. I, I had uh, gone down there in, in December and met Paul and was hanging out with him. And um, uh, when he lightened up, when it, when he decided that he liked me, he started to make <laughs> uh, some really good drinks. And um, one of them, I swore this was the best drink I ever had. And uh, it was called the Angostura Sour. It, it's a full ounce, full ounce of Angostura. He was using Angostura rum, uh, a lemon syrup, um, some acid phosphate and uh some uh saint elizabeth's allspice strand and um this thing just knocked my socks off it was a, a full ounce of angostura but it was not bitter really i mean it's got that bitterness but it was just like like had an incredibly deep flavor and uh but was also refreshing because the acid phosphate kind of lightens yeah. the whole thing up and turns up the volume on certain flavors in it without getting in the way it's just like it's a phenomenal drink. I, I make them. I think they're good at my shop, but not as good as Paul's. Just for the record, I think Paul's are a little bit better. You know, like we were talking about that before too, um, before the show uh, about like how when we go out and have a cocktail, it's like it's kind of like nowadays for us. Maybe we're a little bit jaded, <laughs> but we uh, we look for the things on the menus that. Uh, the, the cocktails on the menus, we look for ingredients that just jump out at you, like like things like acid phosphate or like an ounce of Angostura bitters, right? Or or a twenty four ounce right. Tom Collins, and uh, then we go for that. And uh, I I think that that's like the greatest thing. But <laughs> I want to go back to the Sumo College real quick. 
I I love that. I love that because especially like guys like us that are typically like on a day-to-day basis very dehydrated. Right. <laughs> like right now. Um yeah. <laughs> you want to suck down a 24 ounce Tom Collins or Sumo Collins rather. Yeah. And uh I love that Dave Wondrich in all his his glory <laughs> suggested that and I'm glad that you did it. Yeah. Um and I cannot wait to uh come down there to uh to Red Hook and uh, have one at Fort Defiance. Um Anytime, man. It's been really great having you on the show today. Yeah, it's been fun, David. And uh, we're definitely going to have to have another show with you <laughs> because yeah, I, I feel a like lot that we didn't talk about. There's a lot that we haven't talked about. Um, but yeah, awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank and uh, thanks to my producer, Jack Inslee. Boys, we'll see you next week. Do. Cheers. Yeah, that cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. That cat is high. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. This week, all over the internet and also in all of the meat uh, trade papers, as well as in this particular article on digital trends, a story has been running about the poop burger. Japanese scientists have found a way to create artificial meat from sewage containing human waste. Mitsuyuku Ikeda, a researcher from the Okayama Laboratory, has developed steaks based on proteins from human excrement. Tokyo Sewage approached the scientists because of an overabundance of sewage mud. They asked him to explore the possible uses of the sewage, and Ikeda found that the mud contained a great deal of protein because of all the bacteria. The researchers then extracted those proteins, combined them with a reaction enhancer, and put it in an exploder, which created the artificial steak. The meat is 63% proteins, 25% carbohydrates, 3% lipids, and 9% minerals. The researchers color the quote-unquote meat red with food coloring and enhance the flavor with soy proteins. Initial tests have suggested people say that it even tastes like beef. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Check out a small clip from The Food Scene hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, a show where food and art intersect. I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, (laughs) and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Um, And most recently, a rabbit cafe. Yep. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I am and this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies <laughs> yeah. as a kid. And we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and these. Yeah. Um, 
so it kind of has resonance with uh, one of one of our favourite cookbooks, which we think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have have is their dark secret under their pillow, <laughs> um, which is the future. Want to hear more? Well, tune into the food scene live every week Tuesdays at three p.m. Or you can find all the archive shows on our website, or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening. The following is a message from Zingerman's. From June 30th to July 3rd, 2011, come hang out at Camp Bacon, a four-day festival hosted by Zingerman's. The main event is an all-day affair at Zingerman's Roadhouse, featuring plenty of bacon, bacon learning, and such luminaries as Alan Benton, John T. Edge, Molly Stevens, and more. The event will be taking place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Proceeds from this event benefit Southern Foodways Alliance. Also, on Friday, July 1st, there'll be a special benefit performance featuring Andre Williams and the Gold Stars and special guests John Langford and Skull Orchard. Visit www.zingermanscampbacon.com for more information and for tickets. Once again, that's www.zingermanscampbacon.com.